Good morning, everyone. How are we? We good? Ah, it's me again. I can see it on your face. You again. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, let's just pray quickly because I, I need it today. This is a... Yeah, I need God. There's a lot in this. I need God this morning. I tell you that much for nothing. So, Jesus, um, I consecrate this time to you now. Uh, let this time be belong to you. Let your message be, be fulfilled here this morning. Um, just can't believe that you allow me to speak your words and go deeper into relationship with you. Um, I pray the hearts are open this morning to receive your words. Uh, eyes are open as well and ears to hear uh, in your precious name. Amen. Brilliant. Light and salt. Light and salt. This is what we're reading this morning. Matthew 5:14. if we can have a look at your Bibles or it shall be on the screen. I hope, Matt. Nice one. Yeah, excellent. So let's have a read together. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. I agree, exactly. Totally agree. Um, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let, the, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father in heaven. So, I've read this on many, many occasions, and many times, and after studying some of this, uh, so, some other people preaching on this, um, I, I was hit with a few heavy uh, bricks as such, as you'd say. So let's delve in. Um, it doesn't say you will be, you could be. It says you are. Um, so we, as believers, we are the salt and the light of the world. Jesus was, obviously, and still is, obviously, but we're the reflective light and reflective saltiness, if you can say that, of Jesus. Um so we are, the, we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world, um, and we are a city on the hill. When we confess as followers of Jesus, we are in the fire, firing line. Um, and why I say that, if you just go back and read what it says here, it's no longer, it's how, can, how can salt when it loses its, its saltiness? How can it be made salty again? Um, it's no longer good for anything to be thrown out and trampled on by men. Now, one preacher did turn around and say this, right? Um, he said, change the words to, from you are to we are, and change it's no longer good to we are no longer good. Now, that was a bit lofty, and I didn't want to add that in, but when you think of it, we can kind of see that in, in religiosity today in some churches we can see how the loss of saltiness, the loss of lice is being trampled on by men because of watered-down gospels, PC-ness, all of these different things. So we are Christians that stand in the gap. We are exclusive. So we are the ones who are the light and the salt of the earth. No one else at this moment in time on the face of this planet are the salt or the light. We are the ones that ask heaven to come to earth. We, we pray 
in battle against principalities, etc., and the forces of wickedness. And in Ephesians 6.12, we see that the church alone has a very u- unique position in this, in this place. What hit me when I was looking at this is that, um, Mal, you can go for it, mate, click on, is that we need to find out before we step into talking about salt, light, etc. I always like to, to, to have a look at a bit of situational awareness. What, what is it that Jesus is saying here? What's the context? You know, I know there's a bit of consulting speak. This is from my background where we go, okay, what is the situation right now? What are we doing here? What's going on? So I've attempted to, 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 do, a, a, to do that, right? So these are, these are little images, right? Uh, the big ones left um, 2,000 years ago, obviously the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on the right-hand side is his return, and we're in the middle. So we're, we are the closest Christians today to his return. Now, that for some reason really hit me. And with this message being salt and light, we are responsible for bringing that at this present moment in time on this earth. On the left-hand side, I just had the the quick run-through of the story so far. Uh, Satan, before the the creation of the world, obviously fell from from grace as such. uh, was in a great place of, 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 of heading up worship for, for, to, to God. Then the creation happened. Then the creation of man, the fall of man, the creation of Israel. And what hit me was that I, I very much look at that story from the outside. I very much go read the Bible and go, well, and they're brilliant stories. They're amazing. And now... Over my journey over the last wee while, I see that I'm, we're actually part of that journey. We're actually part of that story. You're not looking from the outside. You can't be a bystander. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting at. You are. Not you could be. Do you want to? Would you like to be? So you are the salt and you are the light of the world. So where are we? Um, just to add, you're in the story the same one that was spoken about by the prophets were not to be bystanders. Make no mistake, uh, we're in fairly desperate times, as you can imagine. Um, and I think this, we'd all agree that the world needs salt and light. It needs truth, it needs compassion, it needs love. And whether we like it or not, we're the ones that bring it. Clearly from this message, we're the ones that bring the reflective glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, that, that sounds a bit, I suppose, hard-hitting, or, or maybe it's, it could be that you say, well, that's great and all, but, and that could be apathy setting in, or, but have you ever really thought about your role and responsibility when Jesus says these words, you are the salt and the light of the world? So it's vital to have this context. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.4 tells us that we shouldn't be surprised with what's going on in the world, you know, um, and we shouldn't be surprised about what Jesus calls us to be. Before we talk about salt and light, um, and it's a key thing in the, uh, for the last couple of weeks, I think I preached on it and I'll preach on it, and a few others uh, I think mentioned it as well, is our identity in Jesus and our identity in God. Um, if we don't know that, we're a little bit of a bystander when it comes to this uh, being salt and light. 
There's a lovely little verse in, in Judges. Um, and this really hit me when I was studying this around our identity and then understanding what it is to be salt and light. Um, in Judges 8.18, uh, Gideon asked Zeba and Zalmunna, uh, the men you killed at Tabor, what were they like? Uh, they were like you, they replied. Uh, they had uh, the look of a king's son. You know, just imagine for a second having that being said about you. Is that hard to believe that you are a son or a daughter of God? You're Christians. You've given your life to Jesus. You've been brought into the family of God. There's something about us that maybe you don't recognize that makes you a son or a daughter of, of, of the Most High. And it's a re, it, it is a reality whether it's hard to believe or not. And the closer you get to believing that, you'll see the scripture opening up and, and, and you'll realize what actually God is saying about your identity. This is a really important piece to understand then how the story is weaved into salt and light. There's a few scriptures I want to read about your identity. You're hidden in Christ, Colossians 3.3. Transferred to the kingdom of heaven, Colossians 1.13. You're sons of God, Romans 8.16. Cry out, Abba, Father. That's what we can do now. That's, Col- uh, that's Galatians 4.6. So, um, what is it that allows us to be salt and light? Um, After uh, studying some of this stuff, I I was drawn into what Jesus actually accomplished. You know, because I wanted, if if I'm to represent in salt and light, I want to understand that it's Jesus' reflective glory and not mine. So I wanted to understand exactly what, what, what I have to reflect and where I have to live from. Um, this challenged my narrative of where, where I live from. Do I live from um, constant worries of the world putting on me or do I live from the victories already won? One of the best scriptures that I've, that I've read about this, go ahead, Matt, um, is in Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle, triumphing, triumph, triumphing over them by the cross. When I was reading about this, I, I, I was like, look, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't kind of get I don't think I'm living from this. I don't think I'm living from a victory that you've already won. I go around, I do, I'm concerned, anxiety, I see it all over the place. I'm, I'm uh, dictated by the by the pace of the world at times, you know, different things that happen, the enemy, all of that stuff. So I asked him for an example of, of how to live in victory. And he, just, he reminded me of a time when years ago uh, I, was, I was coaching uh, a men's football team and uh, we got into this final, the first final the club had been in in years. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. But we found out who we were playing. We were playing this team that for the last 10 years bet the living daylights out of us, like literally. So we were like, oh, well, that's grand. It was good to get into the final anyway, before we'd even played, before we'd even get, kicked the ball. So I said, look, we are, we are up a creek without a paddle here. So I changed the narrative. And what I said was, 
let's just for the next week believe that we've won the cup already. Let's just live from there. Let's train from there. Let's believe from there. Let's visualize from there. And I couldn't believe the response that the team that that the team did. And I kept on. It was like I was brainwashing them. So I don't want to brainwash you, right? But it was like that. Every training session, we were training every day. And I was like, no, no, we've gotten the cup. Just relax. We've gotten the cup. I know it. We've, we've won. We've won already. Forget about it. Just relax and play the game. You will be fine. And what happened? You're all like, you lost. No, we won. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Gary, thanks for that. Um, no, we won. And <laughs> it was a tight battle. It was a tight one. It was a tight one. But I am fully convinced, and I talked to uh, the, the team afterwards, and I said, what made the difference? And everyone to a man said, we changed the narrative. We played from we already knew we had won. And that was incredible. I couldn't believe it. And I'd forgotten that story. So how different would your life be and the challenges in your life if you, if you change your narrative and, and played the game from victory? This is what Jesus says in this verse. Or this is what it means about Jesus in this verse. There's three things, really important things that Jesus did at the crucifixion. Forgave all of our sins. Colossians 2.13 Forgive all of our trespasses, every single one. He blotted out the ordinances of the law, i.e. the law is done with. And he spoiled the principalities. He stripped Satan of all his power. Like he stripped him. I never, I always knew, yeah, Jesus, you defeated him, right? And I always thought, yeah, he's in retreat till you come back, right, I get it, this is enemy territory, territory, and we're in it, and we've got to fight a battle, but now, as I go deeper into my relationship with Jesus, that narrative is starting to change, one of victory, the victory's already won, so if, when somebody, or, or I feel an anxiety, this is going to be short-lived, I've already gotten the victory, and you have zero power over me. I, I cannot tell you the relief that that gives me at times. It is unbelievable. So I want you to picture this. When Jesus rose from the dead, after all he had done, Satan was stripped of all of his weapons. He has one, lep one weapon left. Bluff lies. That's it. You have victory over him in Jesus. Imagine. That is unbelievable. He bluffs. He is a liar. He tells you. Do you remember that scene in Superman? I don't know if you remember Superman. Where General Zod. Yeah? Please, thank goodness. You're, you're with me. You're with me. This is recording. Mal, cut this recording out. But anyway. Um, General Zod. And they're in, the, they're in Superman's gaff in the old Arctic, right? Um, and Superman tricks them and goes into the chamber and instead of his power being, you know, removed, all the lads outside. So Zod says to him, right, now kneel to me. And he kneels and he crushes his hand 
and he makes a mockery of him, picks him up and throws him away. And then the great part about it, Lois Lane, your one is holding, your one is holding on to Lois Lane, and Lois Lane just turns around and goes, you're a right pain in the neck. Boom. Right? Because the power has been stripped. That's, that's different. We've got to change the narrative. Okay. So what is it about salt and light? What does it look like? Um, it's a great quote by Derek Prince. And let me read it out. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only agency... Ah, bless. He agrees. He agrees. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only agency to have power and ability to intervene in the spiritual realm to affect the course of events on earth. You're kind of like, I'm going to read it again. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only agency to have power and ability to intervene in the spiritual realm to affect the course of events on earth. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We are in perilous times and the world needs us right and when i say us i mean jesus right but it needs his people he 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 has given us a responsibility and being salt and light what i see from here is the word it's a responsibility he didn't ask us would you mind could you i don't worry about it he said you are the salt and light. And if you lose your saltiness, you'll get trampled on. We'll come to that a little bit more now in a sec. So what does salt do? It flavors. But one of the big things it does, it preserves. It preserves from decay and it holds, holds back corruption. That's a lofty ask. We had to stand in the gap. I think I've, Mal, I think I've a lovely slide there. I hope. Beautiful, beautiful. I took this picture from the Lord of the Rings where the elves stand. Okay, I don't know if you can see it, can you? Yeah. So we are to continue the victory of Jesus until he returns. We are his hands and feet. This is clear, as we can see in Ephesians 6 and 2 Colossians. I'm going to read that one out. So I actually have it there as well. Mal, if you can flash it up. So we are to, do, to perform warfare and intercession. We are to press forward the victory won already by Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though, though we live in, a world, in, in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to an already risen and victorious Jesus. This is clear in Matthew 16:9, where it clearly states we're given the keys of the kingdom. And we can bind things in heaven as on earth and loose things in heaven as on earth. The flavor of salt. 
this is where we have to be countercultural. That's what I see when I see the flavor of salt. We show love, and by goodness, this world needs to, sh- to be shown love. We have really horrendous topics at the moment, stripping other humans who have the image of God on them, stripping it away, telling them that they are worthless. And this is where it gets into a little bit of tricky territory. Topics like abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism. While holding on to the unshakable truth that is in Scripture, we hold on to that Jesus is the only answer to these situations. Um, obviously, the abortion agenda, or, uh, referendum, and the agenda that's out there now. And I've seen signs in America here, you know, outside abortion clinics, etc. And I often have asked, Jesus, what would you do? Well, this is a really tough one. Like, what would you do? Would you stand there and, you know, condone or condemn? Sorry, not condemn, condemn, you know? And I really feel if Jesus was there, he'd have a placard that says, I am Jesus. I am the answer to everything you're going through. And I believe that same Jesus will be at the back door with the same placard saying, I am Jesus. I am your answer. I'll make it everything, everything will be made fine in me. Even with homosexuality, I, I remember talking to a friend of mine who, who uh, said, look, what's your gig? Your church obviously doesn't allow, you know, and I was like, look, can I just stop you there? If you find out who this Jesus is, everything else doesn't matter. You find out about this Jesus, Every other thing that tastes good on this earth fades away. He is the answer to all of those really difficult topics. The Bible is very clear on these topics. We live in a time where transgenderism, there's 72 genders now. And what what do you do with this? How do you be salt and light in these situations? And again, Jesus is the answer. We know what the Bible says, right? It's clear. Right? The, glory, the glory of God's creation, the crescendo of creation, this didn't stop with man, but it stopped with, you know, woman. You know, cherry on top. And in these situations, Jesus is the answer. That's all we can say. Jesus is the answer. He outweighs what your flesh would like to be involved with. Knowing him goes above and beyond. So, what else does flavor bring? It brings forgiveness. Um, I remember when I was doing this, I, I really had, I had it finished. I was like, great, it's finished. I'm done. Jesus, happy days. This is, and I said, No. I said, what, what, what are you doing? What else can I add for flavor? It's forgiveness. Not vengeance. Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Oh, yeah, once or twice is fine, isn't it? 
And Jesus said, 77 times 7. And you're kind of like, oh, give me a break, will you? 77 times 7. We live in a world of unforgiveness. We live in a world where forgiveness is seen, uh, unforgiveness is seen as the good thing, holding people to account, you know, accountability, responsibility, and they are good things. They're really, really good things. It's right. But God is to do that. My story of forgiveness, um, uh, I'll, I'll share it with you. I Believe it or not, I was a Christian, professing Christian, um, and hated a person in my life. Hated this individual. I think I shared it with one or two people as well. Um, where I, I would honestly, and terrible to say, but this is what hatred and unforgiveness does. This is what hatred does. Um, where you, if you were at the, at the person's funeral, you would have been like, great, great, right? I know, it sounds terrible, I know, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of me life, no more pain, you got your Jews. Happy days, right? Only Jesus can do what he can do. And thank God he showed me how forgiveness can set you free, let alone the person, right? So thank God in his wisdom, he gave me the grace to walk me through that journey. And I was able to forgive I was able to repent of my own hatred because that was holding me back in my relationship with Jesus. Last thing about flavor, that's really important because in Revelation 12, 11, it says about your testimony of Jesus Christ. Sometimes, some, you, know, you give a testimony, your own testimony, and somebody may look at you and say, what are you on? You follow this lad? Savior, he's your savior. What are you talking about? His blood? What? You do not know the seed that that has planted. Your testimony is so powerful. And remember, non-Christians, they're made in the image of God just as much as we are. And they have a blueprint. There's a gap in the Lord in, in God's heart that only each of us can fill. So if those people perish, I, I firmly believe there's a gap then. Because what does the Bible say? It tells us Jesus came to save. Not to condemn people to, to internal damnation. I think we do a good job of that ourselves. The world certainly does. So let's touch on being the light in a dark world. So what does light do? It gives direction. We see this in John 14, 4, 4, 16. We as light are to give direction to Jesus Christ as the only way, the only truth, the only life. It's all we can live on. People may not want to hear that, but that is the only direction that our light can give. It's to give hope and the hope in Jesus. John 3.16. It brings into light what was in the dark. And again, I'll come back to your testimony. We were in the dark but Jesus brought us into the light. Um, loving one another. So again, as Christians, this is not about loving. I, I, sometimes I find it easier to love a non-Christian. That may sound strange. Because sometimes we look, look over 
the people around us. You know, our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. And it's not a coincidence that there's so many times in Scripture that tells us, would you love one another? Because you're all going through the same battle. Take care of one another. Both spiritually and every other manner. Right? Um, and sometimes that's being tough and holding us to account for our own standards and, and knowing what's at stake. I'll give you my own example. Years ago, I made a decision in my life that my sister at the time has come to me and said, listen to me, it's going to be a car crash. It's not biblical. Please don't do it. I'm saying it out of love. We fell out for a while because I thought I was right and I thought I was hearing from God. I, I, was, I was making sure that I'd fill in my own gaps. Right? I was not listening to God and I knew it. I'd find a scripture or whatever to try and back it up. Usual nonsense. That was showing being salt and light. She didn't say, it'll be all okay. You will be fine. She said, it's going to be a car crash. God will be there. God will be there. I remember these words that she says. And it was. Car crash. And who was there to pick up the pieces? Jesus. Jesus. So, what gets in the way of being light and salt? Disobedience. Sin. These give the enemy a claim. Busyness. TV, Facebook, you name it. Fill in the gap. Right? You can't... And by the way, I'm saying this to myself. I can't be salt and light when my face is in my phone. Not living out of victory. That's not being salt and light. So how do we stay salty and keep our light bright? 2 Chronicles 7.14 We humble ourselves before the Lord. We pray constantly. We seek his face. We turn from our wicked ways in his strength. These are imperative cornerstones of keeping our light and our salt full of flavor and so that we're not trampled on. So what is, what is salt and light not? It's not sitting on the sidelines. Jonah showed us this in brilliant fashion. He ran from God. The more he ran, the lower he went. Till he couldn't go any lower than the belly of a fish at the bottom of the ocean. He, had to, he was given a responsibility to be salt and light to Nineveh. And he ran. He said, good luck. Thanks. No thanks. Another way that uh, salt and light is not is rewriting scripture to suit ourselves. I've done it. I've done it. I've tried to find scripture to suit my circumstance when I know God, his ways are better than mine. And I see it today. We see scripture and we can say, I oh, know, I, I heard God say this. No, it's fine. I'm good. Religion. Being salty and being full of light is not religious. And it's not having knowledge over revelation. I've talked to so many people who are amazing Bible scholars. I've seen them, even on the internet. And you're like, wow, you've, I'd love your knowledge, but you have zero revelation. 
And I've seen the, the opposite. I've seen people who are so knowledgeable who admit that their knowledge is revelation from God. That they're so knowledgeable because they've ed up the word and sought God, sought his face. So, lovely. Thanks, Mal. Well, in, in Dublin, speak, are you in? Are you right? Whether we like it or not, and this is really big, we could be in the time, we could be the generation that sees the return of Jesus Christ. And I'll say to you what somebody said to me recently. What are you going to do when you face Jesus and he says, I had a lot more for you. I had a lot more for you to do. So, are you going to answer the rally call in Matthew 5.13? Will you get off the sidelines or stay like Jonah? One of, the, one of the great scriptures, you see it there in Jonah 1.6. And I, I really think this is prophetic for now, for this time, for the church. How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. May he, um, maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The hour is near. How can we stand idly by and not be the light of the world in, the, um, in desperate need? So, to wrap up, the, ro- the world needs Jesus, not religion. The world needs his hope, his love, his salvation. Jesus is the answer to even the most difficult of situations. We are his soldiers. It's worth fighting for. Are we up for the battle? So let's pray. Jesus,